What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I will be flying solo on this week's shows because I'm actually out of the country this week, and as much as we wanted to make it work, it's just too much of a logistical challenge with the time differentials, trying to get connected, and really my wife and I just actually being on vacation and wanting to do actual vacation-type stuff to get Curtis on the show this week. But uh, I do have my equipment. I brought it along with me, and I am ready to roll today. And now a few weeks ago... I produce a show where I rewound back to the Rose Bowl, uh, which is obviously one of the more iconic games in Georgia history, to kind of review that game one last time in great detail. And the idea really for me was that we kind of obviously relive one of our program's finest moments one last time, but also uh, more so along the way, take an inside look into our schemes, our coaching decisions, and really the personnel we have returning in 2018, kind of what we could take from that game and kind of translate it forward to 2018. It took me about, I don't know, man, like I didn't count it up, but about 15 or so man hours to produce that show from watching the tape, charting the plays, recording the actual show, cutting the show, producing it, all that stuff. But um, it seemed to be pretty worth it. We, we got some great feedback on that show. Uh, some of you out there indicated that you would like for me to give it another shot with another game from the 2017 season. Uh, I was kind of hesitant to do that because it did take so much time, but today I am doing just that. I have spent the past two weeks or so preparing uh, for this show, and today what we're going to do is we're going to spotlight the SEC Championship game against Auburn. For me, I mean, there are a bunch of iconic games from last year. Obviously, the Rose Bowl kind of stands out more than it to me, at least, uh, but for this second 2017 Rewind show, it came down to the SEC title game or the Notre Dame game, and I set it on the SEC title game because... This is the one that catapulted us into the playoff. And, and while the Notre Dame game, that, that, that setting and winning that game certainly did elevate our program to a degree, I really believe winning the SEC title, getting revenge against Auburn, and then catapulting ourselves into the Rose Bowl, that's kind of what took our program to even another level. So that's what I have in store for you guys today. But first, I do just want to remind everyone out there that you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything. And if you... Uh, like the, the Rewind shows, please let me know. Uh, I, I could potentially be open to doing another one if you guys really enjoy it, so just let me know uh, if it's something that you would like for me to try to put together another time or so throughout the rest of the summer. Uh, and if you don't love, love it, that's okay. Just l- let me know that you know you don't. I shouldn't waste my time. We should try to produce some other content. But you can definitely hit us up on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. want to make sure you guys know where to find the show. You can definitely find us on uh, dogsportsradio.com where we got started a couple years back. It's part of the larger V-Sport-O internet radio network. They have a lot of Georgia content, other teams, uh, NFL stuff as well. So definitely check out V-Sport-O and dogsportsradio.com. You can download the Dogsports Radio app straight to your smartphone. That's a little easier for you guys. You can definitely find us on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. Uh, a lot of you out there have taken time to give us a rating and review on whatever that preferred platform is that you'd like to find us on. If you haven't done so, we'd really appreciate it if you just take a few seconds out of your day to give, a, give us a quick rating, quick review, kind of some feedback there that helps us out um, in terms of knowing what kind of content you guys like and also just helps us as we try to continue to grow the show. So we appreciate that in advance. But all right, guys, let's go ahead. Man, we got a lot to talk about here and go through this game and – uh, I, I went through each drive, obviously. Now there's some. I went through most of the big plays, or most plays in general. I mean, I watched the game start to finish multiple times, but there's some plays I'll skip over uh, because they're just they're not really all that relevant. But for the most part, guys, this is from start to finish the SEC championship 
rewind here. So we're going to start, obviously, in the, in the first quarter. Now, Auburn gets the ball first. They come out first and 10 with a bunch formation to the right. Now, we come out in our base defense like we typically did all year long. There are a few exceptions to that. Against Missouri, we didn't come out necessarily with our base personnel right from the get-go because they like to ch- throw the ball around the park a lot. But against Auburn, we come out in that base defense. It's at core, although Auburn does like to spread out, do a lot of window dressing, really they want to run power football right down your throat. So we're in our base defense personnel against kind of a tight bunch formation to the right. And, and like Auburn does, they had a lot of window dressing on this first down play like they are apt to do. Uh, they fake a dive to, to carry on Johnson, but really it's just a simple end around to Eli Stove. Uh, Bellamy, Devin Bellamy does a great job. He does, and Bellamy, if you guys listen to the show, you know that uh, throughout the, his years in playing significant minutes for our significant downs for us, I thought there were a lot of times where Devin Bellamy was very, very undisciplined in maintaining leverage and, and just playing the run in general, diving inside, doing things he had no business doing. But in this particular play, he does a great job maintaining outside leverage. He forces Eli Stove inside towards our pursuit, which is exactly what he's supposed to do in this play. Devin Bellamy, really the way this is set up with him as the force player, he's not designed to really make the tackle. He's designed to keep that outside leverage, force the ball carrier back inside to our pursuit, which is exactly what he does. And then David Marshall uh, hustles down the line and makes the tackle for uh, holding it to a four-yard gain. So then we got second and six. They go with another play they like to run. A lot, of, a lot of screens. You know, if you've watched Auburn a lot, I'm sure most of you have, they throw screens a ton. They go with a play-action throwback screen to the boundary to Ryan Davis, who was their feature receiver last year. Uh, DeAndre Baker, he reads this from the get-go, and he follows uh, Ryan Davis and beats the lineman who's releasing to pick him off. He beats him for a loss of three. And he's able to beat that lineman just really off of just recognition and reading the play, and he hits Ryan Davis for a loss of three. So now we have third and nine. Good situation to be in here. Sounds looks like we might be off to a good start. We bring uh, the double A gap blitz with playing man coverage behind it. Now on we we get the stop, but as you'll see, will be a, kind of a theme here throughout this game. DeAndre Bayer gets called for a, what I believe, and this is my opinion, a very questionable pass interference. There was certainly some hand fighting here and there, but nothing more different, nothing different than what you see on any given play really out there at all. And if you want to call it interference on Baker for the, on this play for hand fighting, you could easily call it on the Auburn receiver as well because they were both kind of jostling for position. I didn't like the call, but whatever. They get a first down. So now it's first and 10. Uh, carry on Johnson. They get seven yards on first down. Uh well, he kind of he kind of he kind of squirts free. We, it looks like we had him wrapped up, but he squirts free here to get, to get seven. So now second and three, they run a quick play on second down. They pick up the first down. So they have, now they have a new set of downs. It's first and ten. Here they are again, trying another slip screen to the boundary. And what you see here early on is they're really attacking the perimeter. Three out of the first five plays, they're attacking the perimeter. Uh, but this time they run this. They run a screen out of a stack set. But Dominic Sanders does a great job reading and reacting. He he blows up this play for a loss. But the referees did what the referees did a lot in this game. They really what the referees do in general. They just sucked at their jobs as they call us on this play, which another play that was a big play for us defensively. We get them tackled for a loss here. They call us for a legal substitution. But it was the officials that completely screwed this up. They, they completely screwed this call because Auburn substituted. And you guys watch enough college football to know that when, when the team that's trying to go a pace, when they substitute, the defense has to be given a chance to do the same thing before the ball is snapped. This is when, if you're watching the game, this is when the ref usually comes running to stand over the ball until the defense has had a chance to sub. But that did not happen on this play. So we try when Auburn subs, we try to run our guys in. They snap the ball. We got more than 11 guys on the field, and they call it legal substitution. Just completely another, completely blown call by the by the officials in the very first drive. 
So instead of second and 12, it's now first and five. So that is a huge difference on this first drive. The first drive can really set the tone for games. So first and five, now they go with the Wildcat. Uh, the way Auburn does this is they load the line with an extra offensive tackle in place of a tight end. Uh, they got Chandler Cox uh, as the fullback lineup. It's kind of like kind of like as an H-back. So they have two offensive tackles strong. And they got an H-back there as well. Now, we learned our lesson in the first game against Auburn, and we decided to play this with a heavy base look of our own by subbing Jonathan Ledbetter in for Davin Bellamy, an outside linebacker. So it's essentially we're coming with our a base package, but we just subbed Ledbetter, a little bit of a bigger guy, more of a run stopper than what Davin Bellamy is. So we bring Ledbetter in the game. Uh, they run this play. It's, it's a really well-designed play. That What they do is they pull the play side guard to throw off our inside linebacker reads. They pull him in one direction. So that kind of gives the impression that it's, uh, that it's a counter to carry on Johnson on the backside because they got the, they got the guard pulling backside. It gives the impression that Johnson's going to run this counter. Our, typically, your linebacker is going to read that pulling guard. So what this does is it forces our inside linebackers to take a false step towards the backside. But in reality, carry on Johnson hands it off to Eli Stove again in motion, uh, once again attacking the perimeter. Now, Lorenzo Carr does a great job playing container, kind of like Bellamy did earlier in the drive. He forces Stove inside. But the difference this time is that our pursuit is nowhere to be found because Natres Patrick took that false step following the pulling guard of the backside. Uh, so what that does is it allows the offensive linemen to get to the second level and completely take him out of the play. Now, this is a perfect example of how the motion and window dressing of Gus Malzahn really plays games with your head because Tyler Clark, who is playing a four-tech over the offensive tackle, he just somewhat freezes for just a split second. I mean, literally, just a split second with all the motion. He kind of just freezes, gets lost for a second, is thinking too much, and that gives the center, the center a chance to reach block him, which should never happen. I mean, he's playing a four-technique head up on the offensive tackle, and the center reaches him as athletic as Tyler Clark is, and that's all because his head was swimming with all the motion, all the confusion, all the pulling, all the stuff going on in the back, all that window dressing. So that's really what Gus Malzahn wants to do in a nutshell. So now they get a big play here. It's now first and 10 on our 35. Uh, They run again. Eli Stowe on an end around. You can see yet again they're attacking the perimeter. Now, Lorenzo, again, plays contained perfectly, but he does allow Stowe to kind of score it out for a short game. Not much of a gain, a short gain of about four yards. So now we've got him second and six here. Uh, they go play action. Now, Jonathan Ledbetter beats the offensive tackle inside. He forces them to kind of reverse out of the pocket. But in doing so, he's able to keep awareness downfield. He hits their fullback, H-back dude, Chandler Cox, down the side. Kind of, he kind of released as a wheel route down the sideline. He gets lost back there, and uh, even though we were able to force him out of the pocket, he's able to keep his eyes downfield. He finds Chandler Cox down the sideline, down to the 10-yard line. Uh, and really what happened here is, like I said, Cox ran a wheel route. Big dude runs a wheel route, but DeAndre, they kind of cost him the perfect defense, or the perfect call for this defense, because DeAndre Baker is coming on a corner blitz, which watch that obviously what that does, it takes him out of coverage, and our inside linebackers bite hard on the play fake to Johnson, and they're the guy, they need to be accounting for Cox in the, in, the, uh, in the passing game, but they're too late to recover off that play action. So it's an easy play for them. Now they're inside the 10-yard line. Uh, it's first and goal. They want, they want a, a kind of a quick hitter to the boundary. Stidham basically just flips it out to Darius Slayton. Roquan rushes over to absolutely obliterate him, and he destroys him. But not before a five-yard game. So Auburn's, man, they're threatening here. Now it's second and goal from the five. They go Wildcat. On this one, you know, they've run a couple times that last year. They ran the, like, the, what Tim Tebow made famous, like the jump pass. 
So, but this time, instead of throwing the jump pass, they run a fake jump pass. But we absolutely stone the offensive line, and Lorenzo and Roquan are able to string Johnson out for a loss of two yards. So now we've got a third and goal from the seven. We are in man coverage across the board with a cover one. So what that essentially means, we've got one deep safety or else is, is in man coverage across the board. Aaron Davis, I, I'm, this pass should never have been completed. It, it obviously gets completed for a touchdown, but it should never have gotten completed. Aaron Davis is playing with inside leverage in the slot. Which, when you play with inside leverage, it means you're trying to take away in-breaking in routes. Like, oh, I don't know, a slant. So he's playing inside leverage in the slot against a slot receiver, but still somehow gets beat inside on the slant by Nate Craig Myers. That should never happen. I'm sorry, it just should never happen if you're playing inside coverage. To take away that play, it should never be able to happen. But it did. So Auburn touchdown. They draw first blood. They're up 7 nothing after the first drive. We get the ball. We got first and 10 uh, on our with our first possession. We go. We come out with 21 personnel. What that means, the first number in that, 21, 2, is the number of, of running backs you have. One would be the number of tight ends you have. So you, typically you're going to have five skill players at any given time. So if you have two running backs, one tight end, that means you got three there. you got two two spots left in the skill players. It means you got two receivers. So we got two running backs for the, for the 20 there and one tight end in the play. Now we do do something a little different here. We bring Elijah Holyfield in at fullback. And if you're watching this play closely, we have our what I call our blocking personnel in, which is Jason Stanley and Trey Blunt at wide receiver. We have Jeb Blazevich flexed out wide. He comes in motion. We saw this a ton last year, and I, I, when this play was in, when we, we when this play comes out, we line up. I can kind of tell you what this play was going to be because Blaze cracks on the defensive end. So what that what that allows us to do is it allows us to pull Isaiah Win from the, from the left tackle, pull him outside, and lead Nick, lead Nick Chubb on the toss. Stanley cracks the inside linebacker and the fullback. In this case, Elijah Holyfield leads out front along with Win. Now there is an alley. Holyfield does not block a soul. Honestly, he, he did nothing. He doesn't block anybody. But we still are able to get an, a really solid gain on first down, 15 yards. So we've got a new set of downs, first and 10. Uh, it looks like we're also trying to attack the perimeter early on in this game, just like Auburn was. Uh, we toss the ball to Tony. It looks like he has some room, but he drops the toss, kind of kicks it out of bounds. Uh, so it's now second and 10. Uh, we have DeAndre Swift running a, what looks like a wheel route here, but it's a miscommunication. Swift carries on carries the route up the field. From thought he should have looks like From thinks he's going to cut it off. He throws the ball. Miscommunication, incomplete pass. So now we got third and ten here. They go with a, Auburn goes to a four man rush. From hits Miko from the far hash on the deep twelve yard out for a first down. Now Miko runs an absolutely great route here and. He truly did become much more of a true wide receiver as the season went on. He really started to grasp the nuances of the position. And this is a guy, based on what we saw in the SEC title game against Oklahoma in the national title game, you know, you, I think this is a guy that we saw really grow up late in the season in big moments, whether it was the SEC title game, the Rose Bowl, or the national title game. He made some big-time plays for us in all those games. Uh, and I, So looking at that, I really think he's a guy that could potentially break out this year. Now, he had some big moments for us, but I'm talking about having a breakout year this year with how he came on late in the season after really kind of trans, translating his skill set to the wide receiver position for the first time in his career. But anyway, so we, we get the 12-yard gain here on the deep out from the far hash, and this, guys, is really the route that Jake Fromm throws best. Now, those who claim Jake Fromm has a weak arm, you just need to watch this throw. He's throwing a deep out from the far hash. He does not leave it hanging, and not only does he not leave it hanging, he throws the ball with great anticipation and places it perfectly. He truly throws the ball as soon as Miko starts to get out of his break. 
And to me, going back and doing the film study from last year, when Jay Fromm has a clean pocket like he did on this particular play, he can make absolutely any throw. He has the ability to carve people up if he has that clean pocket. Now, does he have the arm of Jacob Eason? No. No, he does not have that kind of arm. But his arm is plenty good enough to make any kind of throw that he needs to make. And it was on full display right here on this third down play. So now we have the ball first and 10 in Auburn territory at the 47-yard line. We go with play action, and but Auburn comes with a kind of a delayed safety blitz. Trey Matthews is able to kind of sneak in the backfield, and he brings Jay Fromm down for the sack. Uh, we're going to fast forward to third and 13 here. Nothing happening on second down. Third and 13, Sonny Michelle tries to chip one of the Auburn defensive tackles, Dontavious Russell, on the edge, playing in a five technique. And in, But in doing so, Sony trips up Isaiah Wynn. Got to get their feet tangled just a little bit. And Wynn falls down, which allows Russell at the, at the defensive end position to swallow Fromm up for yet another sack on the drive. So we looked like we were we had a promising drive start. We get, a, get to essentially midfield. They have a couple sacks, a couple of things go wrong, and then we have to punt the ball. And at this early point in the game, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to speak for everyone out there. I know for me, though, I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go again. Kind of shades of what happened in... Jordan Hare, a couple of weeks before. I mean, look if you look at the, in that first drive, they moved the ball at will early on in that first drive. And their defensive line, after our first possession, looks like it might be ready to dominate our front yet again. So Auburn has the ball. We punt it back to them. They get the ball. Uh, first and 10. And here what we see is, is Trent Thompson flashes his talent like he was wont to do occasionally. I mean, no one ever doubted that Trent Thompson had the talent to be a dominant player. He, he showed he had that ability. I mean, the, the one that always stands out to me is the, the Liberty Bowl game against uh, against TCU. He had like three sacks, multiple tackles for loss. He was just a, a terror. And we were hoping he would carry that through all of last year. It didn't quite happen. He had the kind of offseason incident, I guess we'll call it. But this particular play, he does a great job. He flashes that, that elite ability. He was lined up in a three technique, and he absolutely just whips the offensive tackle to make the play in the backfield. I just wish we would have seen more of that from him, on le- definitely on a more consistent basis. Uh, on second down, they swing it out to the boundary to carry on Johnson, trying to get him involved early in this game. Uh, we're playing cover one here again. We've got one deep safety rail. is playing man across the board. Roquan Smith has carry on Johnson and man coverage and absolutely eats him alive for a loss. So now we've got third and 15. They swing it out to Johnson yet again, but Lorenzo is able to chase him down for a short gain and force the punt. So second drive, pretty successful for our defense there. We get the ball back. Now first and 10. On our 32, uh, we're in shotgun. We just give a quick dive to Nick Chubb up the gut for three yards. It brings us to second and seven. Uh, and on this play, we've got two backs in the backfield. you got Chubb lined up to the right of Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift lined up to the left of Jake Fromm. Swift cuts the backside in, basically a slice block more or less. You see H-backs do this a lot where they, they pull to the back end and, and cut the defensive end. Well, we're using the, the uh, second running back to do that. He cuts the backside in. We hand the, hand the ball off to Chubb, but the play is blown up for no game by Dontavious Russell, making another big play for them early on in this game. Now, look, the only like this is kind of a just a random play in the game. The only reason I bring this play up is because Kendall Baker, dude, he just gets whipped on this play by Russell. I mean, this play had absolutely no chance. Chubb has no chance. And I guess you can say neither did Baker. He had no chance to, to do anything in this play. It was awful. His technique was atrocious. And I honestly have no clue what he was even trying to do on the play. Because what Baker does is he fires out. He commits like cardinal sin number one as an offensive lineman. His head is looking straight down at the dirt, straight down the ground. He fires out with his head down. He's completely off balance. He has no base whatsoever. And he quite literally falls flat on his face as 
Russell sort of just kind of like tosses him to the side. And I, again, I bring this up because it's this type of, uh, type of performance from DeAndre Baker from time to time that makes me believe that if any starter, any returning starter in the offensive line from last year is vulnerable this year to one of our five-star offensive linemen coming in in this 2018 class, if there's anyone vulnerable to losing a spot that's an incumbent starter, I think it's got to be Kendall Baker because of plays like that. Now, Baker has his moments where he, does, where he plays outstanding. He, he does. There are times where he's really good, but there are also times like this where it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you have no chance in this play. Firing out with your head straight down the ground, no balance, no base, falling on your face. You have no chance, no power in your legs whatsoever. So with things like that, to me what that says is the door is very much open when you see plays like this. For someone, if they're ready, and we don't know, like playing in the trenches in the SEC is is a man's task, and you got to be you've got to be ready physically from the get go. And I think we have some guys. I think Jamari Salyer and Trey Hill might be ready to do that. But the door is very much open for someone like that to take the right guard spot. Maybe even a Solomon Kinley getting back into the mix of things to take that right guard spot from Kendall Baker because he still has these moments where he has brain lapses or just flat out gets whipped. He just has too many of them. And this is a perfect example because this play never had a chance solely because of Kendall Baker. Pretty much everyone else on this on this play did their job. This should have been a nice all game, but it wasn't because Baker just had no idea. What, I, I cannot explain what he was trying to do in this play. It was just terrible. So now we got third and seven. There's no gain on that play. We try to run a, Sony screen, a, a screen to Sony, uh, and he, we get a positive gain, but it, he gets stopped just about a yard short getting brought down from behind. So yet again, second drive, we got a punt here. So Auburn gets the ball back on their 24-yard line for their third drive of the, of the first half. Uh, Jerison drops back to pass, but Jonathan Ledbetter is rushing from a five technique on the right side. Now, he gets too far up the field on this play. He's, he's trying to rush a pass. He sees him drop back. He reads pass, and now he's trying to get up the field and, and pressure the quarterback. But by getting up field too much... He creates a running lane for Stidham, who darts through it for 10 yards and a first down. And guys, this is one of the reasons why Kirby prefers a more of a mush rush to kind of keep the quarterback in the pocket. And it's one of the reasons why we don't put up huge sack numbers, at least the first few years under Kirby Smart, because we often are not truly pinning our ears back on the defensive line because we want to keep mobile quarterbacks in the pocket, keep them contained, and then kind of squeeze and bring them down that way. We did a decent job of that against Baker Mayfield. In the, in the Rose Bowl game, but right, it, we did a horrible job here. I mean, obviously, we ended up winning this game going away, but man, the first half, we let them get out way too much creative, way too many running lanes for him because we were just playing undisciplined in our pass rush lanes. So now they got, again, first and 10. Stidham wants to throw a quick hitch here to Eli Stove to the field, but Aaron Davis reads it perfectly. He steps right in front of Stove, like right in front of the receiver, uh, but Davis sees the, pl- the play... I mean, he, he sees this. Aaron Davis sees the play pre-snap based on alignment. And you can see him call, like he, you can see him calling it out on the field. But Stove has enough awareness. He's seeing all this go all go down. So he sees Davis calling the play out. He sees him taking a step forward. And, and Stove has just enough awareness to just mildly adjust his route midstream and turn slightly upfield. Stim is able to read the adjustment and hits Stove uh, for a gain of 25 yards. It was a short pass, but he hits him. For, he hits him. He's able to take the ball up the field for 25 yards. As Davis, who was right there, kind of took a chance there trying to go for the interception. So now the ball is on our 40, and that feeling of here we go again, here we go again, it's growing stronger and stronger. Uh, on the on the next play here, uh, Julian Rochester holds his ground on first down, does a great job, holds them to a two-yard gain. Julian, I, I have some concerns about him this year, but this play did a good job. On second and eight, they go with some patented Gus Malzahn trickeration. They run a kind of a, what I would call a reverse flea flicker, 
trying to sneak cha- like they really they reversed it and then tossed it back to the quarterback after they reversed it and uh so they go with the flea flicker there he's tr- again trying to sneak Chandler Cox down the sideline on a wheel route hoping we would lose him in the confusion of this kind of reverse flea flicker action in the backfield kind of have our eyes in the backfield but we play it perfectly here but the referees again do what referees do and they blow the call uh, we are absolutely breathing down Jarrett Sims' neck, and he is forced to just literally throw the ball up. It hits one of their offensive linemen, which, of course, is illegal touching. The lineman is not an eligible receiver. They actually call that, right? One of the referees calls illegal touching. But they also call Jonathan Ledbetter for roughing the passer. A truly terrible call. This is what they said when they were explaining the call. They said, quote, using his body to punish the passer into the ground which I'm not sure about you guys. To me, using your body to punish the passer into the ground, that's the definition of what we call tackling. But apparently, that is no longer allowed in the sport of football. This was not a late hit at all. It was not late, not dirty, not cheap, not late at all. It was not excessive. Jonathan Ledbetter did exactly as he's taught to do on this play. He pursued the man on the ball, and he brought him to the ground. Still actually still had the ball in his hand as Ledbetter was tackling him. He threw it away as he was falling to the ground. Just an absolutely absurd call. And I, and I know sometimes they would call the play like when you kind of like pick a guy up and you slam him down. That's not what happened here. Ledbetter literally wrapped him up and fell on top of him. That's what happened. That's called tackling the quarterback. And that has been legal for over 100 years. It's just, oh my God, just mind-numbing stuff from this officiating crew. Uh, and to me, like if that's going to be a penalty, then like you, we really, if that is going to be a penalty, we just need to go ahead and say, you cannot hit the quarterback. Let's put black jerseys on them, and let's just let everyone know. It's cool. It's all right. If, if that's the way we want to go, let's just let everyone know that you can't, you literally cannot touch a quarterback. Because on this play, they absolutely got bailed out when we played this play perfectly. Should have been third and eight. Uh, nothing really going on first down. They get the new set of downs of the ref and the passer. But it's uh, now second and ten. They get seven yards on second and 10 on a screen, another screen here to the perimeter to Ryan Davis. And then uh, on third and short, they barely pick up the first down on the dive to carry on Johnson uh, to end the first quarter. So now here we are in the second quarter and they are driving yet again. They open the, they open the second quarter up seven, nothing. They got the ball on our 29 yard line, looking like they are about to go up two scores here early in this game. And it's not looking pretty. Uh, So they got it first and 10 at our 29 they run an outside zone to Cam Martin for seven yards. Now, Cam Martin's probably going to be their, their well, he'll be vying to be their top guy this year. But this is kind of what he does. He's more of a guy that you want to get on the perimeter, get on the edge. He's not big at all. I'm not sure you can hold up like on Johnson, running that power scheme they want to run up the gut. Uh, but Baker is in good coverage here. He, re- he like, or he, Baker is, let's just say, he's really, really, really good in coverage. We know that. But one area that DeAndre Baker really needs to improve is he needs to improve his run support. Because on this particular play, when they send Cam Martin around the, the edge on the outside zone, DeAndre Baker essentially offers no resistance out there at all in this particular play. Roquan has to chase the play down and eventually does bring him down for a seven-yard gain, but it, it shouldn't have been that much. Baker should have easily stepped up here and made this play and held it to maybe a two- or three-yard gain. Uh, then uh, Martin jams it ahead for three yards. We got the first down on second down. We play it pretty well. He kind of just falls forward for the first downs. Now they've got first and 10 again, and we enter a crucial set of downs. It's first and 10 on our 18 inside the red zone. They are moving the ball down the field, poised to go up 14-0 early in the second quarter. On first and 10, there's a lot of motion going on here. They end up with, and after the motion's all said and done, they end up with a stack look on both sides with 
a receiver stacked behind uh, one receiver up the line, another receiver stacked behind him on both sides uh, of the line of scrimmage. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to clear out the box and create some space for the running game here. They hand it off to Martin again, K. Martin again, and Roquan brings him down after a gain of four. So they got second and six. They line up in a diamond formation to the right. With On this play, they have more generation from Gus Malzahn. Offensive to tackle Austin Golson is flexed out as a wide receiver. The wide receiver that's lined up behind Golson runs a bubble route, which with the offensive line out, with the offensive lineman out there in front of him, if you're on the on the defense, that leads you to believe, okay, well, let's think. Okay, we've got an offensive lineman out here. They're running a bubble screen out here. Hmm, they probably put the offensive lineman out here believing, you know, they probably put the offensive lineman out here to kind of be a lead blocker for this this guy that's running the bubble screen. But the other wide receiver standing to Golson runs a slant. What Auburn wants, to, wants our defenders to see here is that the offensive lineman is out there, and they want us to bite on the bubble screen action, leaving the slant wide open. Stidham is clearly looking at the slant to Craig Myers from the get-go, and even starts his motion to throw the slant before holding on the ball and pumping it instead of releasing it. The reason he has to pull the ball down is because Roquan Smith, who's now flexed out when the offensive tackle flexes out, he reads this perfectly. And rather than attacking the bubble, he drops back under the slant. If Stidham throws this ball, it is 100% a pick. It's right in, in Roquan Smith's hands. But he ends up scrambling and throwing the ball away. And I, and I went in detail with this particular play because I, I just want to bring this up. This is a yet another example of why Roquan Smith was so, so good. It was not just his speed and athletic ability, although that was clearly a big part of it. It was more than just that. This guy was so instinctive and so well-prepared, game in and game out. You could tell that he worked his tail off every single week in the film room. And that's what allowed, it's one of the things that allowed him to play with, with like kind of a reckless abandon out there. A lot of him to play so fast. Like he's fast, obviously, but he played fast at times even faster than that because he was so prepared and could read the situations almost every time out there. I mean, and, and that's what it takes. I always say that talent and athleticism will cl- clearly do a lot for you, but you're not going to be great. You don't reach that level of greatness until you match match that natural ability with work ethic and desire. Because when you blend work ethic and talent together, that's when you have greatness. And Roquan Smith is a pitcher-perfect example of that. And this is just a random play. Like, no one's going to remember this random play. But without that play, okay, without that play by Roquan Smith, reading it perfectly, dropping under the slant, we never get the gigantic play that happens next as Auburn is poised here to try to go up 14-0 early in this game. So now, thanks to Roquan reading this play, dropping under the slant, not biting on some of the, the window dressing, it's now third and six on our 18 and a half yard line. They come out with four wide receivers. We counter with our dying package. Obviously, third down, this is a passing down. Uh, we have three down linemen with Roquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter standing up together in the A-gaps. On the snap, Roquan drops into Kirby's pattern matching coverage. Pretty much like a, which is like the pattern matching coverage we run is pretty much like a, a matchup zone in basketball where you're covering a zone, but when anybody comes into your zone, you cover them man. That's what we pretty much run. I don't say all the time, but a lot of the time. Uh, so he backs out the snap. Lorenzo does blitz with the A gap. So we're rushing four. Lorenzo along with three down linemen. We got Davin Bellamy rushing off the right side. He does a great job of using his hands to keep the offensive tackle's hands off of him. He bends the corner really well. Stidham cannot find anyone open down the field. Uh, and just as he's in the process of pulling the ball down and scrambling to the right, trying to create some time for his receivers to get open, he, he doesn't secure the ball as he takes off. Bellamy smashes him from the blind side, and the ball is loose. 
Their, their center has a chance to fall on it. But he's, let's just be real here. He's so fat that when he falls on the ball, it squirts out and we come away with it at the bottom of the pile. Absolutely changed the game. But again, this play never happens if Roquan does not use his instincts and his preparation to make the right read on second down and it also doesn't happen if the secondary doesn't do their job and lock everyone down, causing Stem to bring the ball down and try to escape the pocket. Little did we know that after this play, Auburn would never get that close to scoring again in this game. They dominated that first quarter, really the first quarter and a half. They dominated. But we take over from there. And it starts in our next drive. As we get the ball back, we definitely dodged a bullet there with Devin Bellamy coming with his second gigantic sack fumble of the year. Can't forget that about the one at Notre Dame either. Kind of seal that game, win that game more or less. So we dodged a bullet, but now we need to make something happen. But we have some energy. Uh, we kind of got reju- a little bit of rejuvenation here. So we tossed the ball to the boundary to Chubb on first down out of a bunch set. Now, Blaze does a good job of sealing this, but the run, this run is all Nick Chubb as he runs through three tackles before getting taken down after gaining a 17 yards. Truly vintage Nick Chubb right there. That's the Nick Chubb of old that, that we all long, that we all remember so fondly from his freshman and sophomore years before the injury. So now we get the ball again. First and 10, new set of downs. Yet again, we toss it to the boundary. But this time, Jeff Holland drives Jeb Blazevich about three yards in the backfield right into Nick Chubb who has to do uh, do a lot, has to fight hard just to get back to the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's quite the accomplishment, just getting this ball back to the line of scrimmage. So now we got second and 10. We want a quick hitch to Terry Godwin for two yards. Got it third and eight. And we go back to the well again. And we hit Miko Harbin on the exact same deep out that we did in the first quarter. And again, he beats Auburn's best cover man in Carlton Davis. And also again, Jake Fromm shows that he has the honor to throw the deep out from the far hash. And this time... He, like This time, it was even more impressive because he couldn't even step into this throw because of pressure in his face. So we got the ball first and 10 after another big third down conversion. And we go with an RPO where Jake Fromm is reading the backside linebacker. Nico Harbin is in the slot. Uh, Jake puts the ball into Sony's guts. And what he's doing, he's basically he's reading that backside linebacker. If the backside linebacker crashes on the run, he'll throw it right behind his head to in the void area where Miko will be. Miko's running a little slant route there. If the guy stays with Miko, then he hands it off to Sony. So he's reading that one backside linebacker. Uh, so Fromm puts the ball in Sony's gut. He pulls it, though, when he sees that backside linebacker crash on the run, and he hits Miko right behind him in that voided area for a 34-yard gain. I mean, this is this is case in point why the RPOs are so deadly and so difficult to defend. Uh, you're reading one, one defender, and... If you make the right read, the defense is screwed. There's no way they can be right if the quarterback makes the right read here. So now we have the ball first and 10 in the red zone at the 19-yard line. On first down, we get a three-yard gain uh, on a quick dive to Sony. Second and seven, we come out with a jumbo set with two tight ends. We go play action, and Jake Fromm throws it just over, barely over the outstretched arm of Javon Wims in the back of the end zone. But fortunately for us, they call holding on Carlton Davis. And we're, at this point, we're really picking on their best cover guy. That's three times we've beaten their best cover guy. So now, since it's in, since that play was, the holding was uh, committed in the end zone, we got the ball first and goal now at the two-yard line by rule. And this next play is just an example of absolutely great play calling by Jim Chaney. At this point, if you've been listening close to the show, we have run the, the toss four to five times in this game to largely great effect. Jim Chaney knows this, and he also knows that Auburn knows this. So he brings Elijah Holyfield back in at fullback. Remember early in the game, we brought him in at this position to get out in front as a lead blocker on the toss. 
We also, on this play, we send Blazevich, we, we flex him out wide, and we send him back in motion to crack on the inside linebacker, just like we did on the first play of the game. So Cheney uses the same personnel and the same action that we used earlier to gash them on the toss play. But instead of actually tossing it, we fake the toss to Sony. The entire Auburn team bites hard on the tosses. Why wouldn't they? We've run it multiple times. We've set it up all game to this point. But what we do in this play is we slip Isaac Nauta to the back of the end zone. Fromm pulls it and hits Nauta for the easy touchdown. Absolutely great play calling by Jim Chaney. And honestly, like I've never really understood the issue some have with him. Is he a perfect play caller? No. I'm not going to sit here and say he is. Of course not. Is, he, is every play he calls, is it the right play? No. But can you say that about any play caller? Who's the perfect play caller out there? I think Jim Chaney had, did an outstanding job in 2017. Yeah, 2016 wasn't as pretty. But you guys should remember the offensive line we had. It's hard to do anything. It's hard to call plays at all when you have an offensive line like we had in 2016 that couldn't run block, couldn't pass block, could, basically could not do anything. So just a great example of play calling here by Jim Chaney, setting it up, and uh, the guys executed it perfectly. So now we have tied it up. It looked like we were about to go down 14 nothing, but thanks to Roquan and coverage and Davin Bellamy, we were able to get the ball back at a huge turnover. And instead of being down 14 nothing potentially, we have now tied it up with 10-14 to go in the first half. And now we have seized the momentum. So Auburn gets the ball back on first and 10. They run another screen, again, trying to get the ball out to the perimeter for three yards. Roquan and Dom Sanders sniff this out. Uh, second and seven, DeAndre Walker... He, goes, he comes in and he goes with a nasty inside spin move to break free from the offensive tackle Austin Golson. And he makes the play on Kerryon Johnson for a loss of four. I mean, no chance. This is the, it's this kind of play that makes me kind of just you know, lick my chops of what DeAndre Walker's going to be able to do for us this year now that he's going to kind of fill that starting role. I think he's going to be a massive playmaker for us on the defensive side of the ball this year. So that puts it at third and 11. We bring, we bring six guys, including Natrez, Patrick, and Roquan Smith on delayed perimeter blitzes. We get to Stidham getting his face. He's got no option here, so he's got to throw the ball away. Three and out. We get the ball back. Game still tied 7-7. So we get the ball back after the pump on our own 32-yard line. On first down, we come out uh, with 10 personnel in the shotgun. Uh, Warner's lined up as – I'm sorry, not 10 personnel. We just, it's, we're in the shotgun. We've got 11 personnel with Warner lined up as an H-back to the right. He pulls around the left end, and Sony follows him. It's kind of like, a, I guess in a way, you want, it's kind of a modified slice block where the H-back comes across line of scrimmage after the snap and comes around the end and block the end man line of scrimmage. So Warner just wipes out the outside linebacker, who was the end man on this particular play. Javon Williams does a great job of blocking the perimeter, and Sony scoots down the sideline for a nice 20-yard gain. So we're gonna after that play, we're gonna fast forward to second down and six on the next set of downs. Oh my God, Sony Michelle is such a beast. I mean, he's such a beast, man. This play right here on second down is as much as I love Nick Chubb. You guys have heard me say this a bunch. I love Nick Chubb. He's maybe my my favorite all time dog. Just love what the guy brings to the table. But this play right here on second and six is why I think that Sony Michelle last year was clearly our best option at running back. Uh, Auburn is in man coverage across the board. It's another great call by Jim Chaney. We run a little screen to Sony to the field. What Wims does is really kind of a great design by Jim Chaney more than anything. Wims runs his his guy who's in man coverage, runs his guy off with a deep route, kind of a nine route here. Godwin is able to chop his defender. But the, the defense does have Sony dead to rights, right about the line of scrimmage. But it's just not happening. He jukes the first guy with that little, I don't want to say it's his move, but I mean, a lot of guys do this, but it's that little 
little outside lean, then hard inside plant where you cut up field. And then he runs through the tackle of linebacker Trey Williams, who had him in man coverage. This, to me, is a perfect embodiment of who Sonny Michel is as a player. He certainly has that finesse game where he can put you on, he can put you on skates. Yeah, he has that elusiveness to him with his quickness and agility. But he also has the power and ability to run right through and over. He puts both of those abilities on display right here in this particular play. So he comes and he ends up with a 32-yard gain, getting the ball down to the 14-yard line. On first and ten, we go we go with now we throw the ball to Nick Chubb on a screen. He gets 11 yards of his own. So now it's first and goal. Uh, we give the ball to Chubb. He gets three yards down to the one-inch line here, essentially. So second and goal from inside the one-yard line. Auburn goes on an all-out blitz here. Their best linebacker, Deshaun Davis, he blitzes from his inside linebacker spot. And he, like On this play, man, he gets under Ben Cleveland. He blows Cleveland up, and he really drives Cleveland right into Chubb's lap. And this play had no chance. And I think Ben Cleveland really kind of stabilized the the right side of our line last year after that, that blowout at Auburn. Really did a good job for us. But the one thing he really needs to work on is he's got to work even. He's gotten better at his bend. But he's so tall, he's got to do a better job of getting low or staying low out of his stance and not kind of opening up his big chest there, his barrel chest, for guys to kind of just crash into and, and blow him up and allow them to get under him. He's got to do a better job of getting under the under the defenders. In this play, he just gets blown up. And you saw this a lot in the National Championship game as well. He's, that's something he's definitely got to work on. He's young. And I, I have faith that he'll improve it. He'll get better at it. But he's definitely got to work on that. So now instead of uh, third and goal from the inch line, now it's third goal from the three. And we have yet another, oh my God, yet another horrible call by the official. On this play, third and third and goal from the three, we throw the tu- we throw a touchdown to Terry Gollum. All right, the defender does get picked on the play. All right, I'm not going to sit here and say he does not. The defender does get picked on the play by Javon Wims. They throw the flag for offensive pass interference. But the problem was, it was not the intent of Javon Wims to run into the defender like it ended up happening. What happened here? was that Javon Wims gets thrown into Terry Godwin's defender by the guy defending him. He literally gets pushed into Terry's defender. It wasn't Wims running into anyone. It was more so him getting shoved into Auburn defenders. If anything, it should have been defensive pass interference because Javon Wims is getting pushed to the ground as the ball is being thrown. That is that is quintessential pass interference, defensive pass interference. But I mean, I mean just, but no, I mean, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ! Referees are so bad at their job. It, it, I, I'm embarrassed for them, really, more than anything. Like it's it's infuriating, but I'm just embarrassed for them. They're so bad at their job. So now we have the ball where when it was second and goal from the inch line, now it's third and goal from the 17 yard line, and we play it safe with a dive of the gut to get a few more yards to get a little closer for the field goal. Rodrigo comes in with a short field goal attempt, and he he knocks it through. We are now up 10-7. Easily should have been 14-7. We got screwed here with five minutes to go in the half. Still, I can't get over this, man. Just can't. Horrible, horrible, terrible call. Terrible. All right, so Auburn has the ball back. Uh, they get a quick first down. Uh, then on second down, on the next set of drives, they go play action and try to take a deep shot down the middle of the field to Darius Slayton. Now, Stidham overthrows Slayton by about three yards. And DeAndre Baker is able to slide under the ball, glide under it, and come away with the interception. Unfortunately, however... And the referees, I'll give them credit here. They got they got the call right here on this play. The play is negated because DeAndre Baker does grab Slayton's face mask early in the ride. It didn't really affect the play. He kind of just I don't think he mentioned. Kind of just reached down his hand, hits his face mask. But but it's by the by the letter of the, of the law. It's it's a penalty. Um, it's illegal. So now Auburn has the ball. It's 15 more yards on our 43. On first and 10, on the next set of draw, on the next set of downs, 
We blitz Aaron Davis off the edge, and he's able to slow up the running back Miller, and Tyler Clark finishes him off. So nothing going much on first down there. Second and nine, they are going for another deep shot. Stidham pumps, but he drops it off to Ryan Davis late as a safety valve uh, because there was no one open downfield. Davis is... He, he throws off to Davis there, Ryan Davis, but Davis is covered on the play. And it's really actually an ineligible receiver uh, on this play because Davis is covered up by one of the receiver, one of the other Auburn receivers on this play, and which means he cannot legally touch the ball. He was supposed to be if he was he should have been off the line of scrimmage, but unfortunately for Auburn, he was on line of scrimmage, and when he touches the ball, it's a legal touching. So another good call by the referees. I'll, I'll try to give him credit when when they when they get it right, and this is a good catch here by them. So five yards back now, it's second and fourteen. They go with a quarterback draw. They get about nine yards on this play, and so now it's third and five. We go with a nickel look. We blitz Roquan and Natrez Patrick through the A-gaps, and they time it perfectly. I mean, Roquan has clearly at this point figured out their cadence, and he's running full speed at the snap. He throws Chandler Cox, the fullback aside, and destroys Jarek Stidham for the sack. It, a great call by Tucker and, and, uh, and Kirby Smart. We, what we have here in this particular play, I mean, it's really a great design by Mel Tucker and Kirby. We have both defensive tackles lined up on the guards. One of our defensive tackles is lined up in a two-eye, which is on the inside of the guard, and one is in a three technique, which means, what this means is that the center is alone to block two guys. We have two guys blitzing the A-gap. Both guards are taken up by defensive tackles. We've got two guys, Roquan and Natrez, blitzing the A-gap, and the center has to take two guys? That's not going to happen. He ends up taking Natrez, Patrick, but now Roquan is running free. Uh, the fullback, Chandler Cox, is his job to try to pick up Roquan, but since Roquan has timed this play perfectly, He's too late, and Roquan avoids him and then destroys Stidham for the sack um, uh, for a huge for a huge play here as we're able to get Auburn off the field and force them to punt yet again. So now we get the ball back. It's late in the second late in the second quarter. We instead of trying to do something crazy late in the quarter, we take a knee and go into the locker rooms up ten seven at halftime. So Auburn pretty much dominated. Not pretty much. They definitely did. They dominated the first quarter of this game, but we were able to swing the momentum back in our favor here in the second quarter, really starting with that that sack fumble by Davin Bellamy. So now let's get in the second half here. They're gonna, so we're going to start the third quarter. We get the ball. We've got uh, Sonny Michelle in the pistol formation. From hands it off to him, off tackle for a gain of seven. On second and three, we go ace with one running back and two tight ends, which is essentially 12 personnel. One running back, two tight ends, two receivers. And we run it right at Auburn. Uh, ben Cleveland and Andrew Thomas double Derek Brown, who's a really good defensive tackle for him. I, I still hate him with a passion for how his recruiting went down and kind of how he just completely just disrespected Kirby Smart. But regardless, he's a good player. Uh, he's playing three tech right here. But Cleveland and Thomas absolutely, I mean, they double him and we, we knock him out, which what that means is that with no fullback or H-back, there's no one to block the inside linebacker Deshaun Davis, and he blitzes through the A-gap at the snap. So it looks like it's a, a nice design here, second and three. We get the double team on Derrick Brown, but when you have to double a guy like that, that means there's no one to take the linebacker. This is one of the things that we were able to benefit from this year with a guy like John John Atkins eating up some of those blocks. So when Deshaun Davis blitzes through the A-gap at the snap, he's a free run in the backfield. But with a sharp cut, Sony literally makes Davis, we hand the ball off to Sony here, and he has a quick sharp cut and literally makes Davis grasp at air and fall flat on his face. Then he cuts it upfield for a gain of eight when it really should have been about a loss of two. Uh, DeAndre Swift is very good. 
uh, and is very similar to Sony in some respects, kind of like this. He's got the quickness like that, and you'll see a play like this later in the game from DeAndre Swift. But man, I, I gotta say it, we are going to miss Sony Michelle. I mean, this play should have been a loss of two, and he just by just by sheer effort and sheer ability, he's able to make this a gain of eight. Had no business getting anything, let alone eight yards in this play. So now we got the ball first and ten, our own thirty-eight. We go shotgun with a tight bunch set to the right. Auburn has 10 men within six yards line of scrimmage on this play. When we run these bunch sets, you see that kind of action a lot. They try to get uh, – when we crowd the lot, crowd the, the center of the field, the defense tries to counter. We're bringing guys in the box as well. We go the flea flicker here, but Deshaun Davis hides behind the line, kind of gets lost in the shuffle, and comes on a delayed blitz to force Fromm to get rid of it quickly. Uh, I don't really think the play was there anyway, but regardless, Fromm has to throw it away. Got nothing happening on first down. So now we've got second and 10. And we hit DeAndre Swift in the flat on what looks to be a design play to him for six yards. Really nothing spectacular here, but in my opinion, this is another example of good play calling to get a nice solid chunk and to get the ball to, or get get this uh, set of downs to third and manageable. Third and four is a down where anything is on the table for us, which makes us much more difficult to defend. Much better, obviously, to be in this situation, third and four, than in third and ten, potentially. So on third and four, Terry goes in motion. He ends up stacked behind Javon Wims. Now, Wims on this route... On this play, he runs a deep route, and Terry pulls up off of him for a quick hitch, but he comes back to the ball and gets stopped just a half yard short. They did review the play. You know, it could have gone either way, but they end up saying it's just about a half yard short. We end up having to punt the ball after our first drive. So nothing happening on our first drive here. Punt the ball back to Auburn. They get the ball first and 10 on their 20. They come out going empty with four wide receivers. Now, they have us where they want us here because we are in base personnel, and, they, and they've got a lot of skill players out there on the field. They've got, got to spread out. Now, most of the game on standard downs, when we went when we went with what would normally be our base defense, I mentioned this earlier, we made one big adjustment, and we substituted John Leather at the 7-tech outside linebacker spot for Davin Bellamy. So we would essentially have four defense linemen on the field with Lorenzo in that jack position he normally plays. And really, this was a response to, to Auburn having their way on the edges against us in the first game. So Auburn fans want to chalk this game up to carry on Johnson not being 100%, and, and maybe he wasn't, but look, man, they... I don't know if Auburn felt that way because they were trying to get him the ball early and often in this game. Uh, but really, I think more than anything, maybe he was 100%, but really I think it's our adjustments defensively had a lot to do with Auburn's offensive struggles in this title game. But in this particular play, Dominic Sanders has Darius Slayton in man coverage in the slot. Slayton has a, he has a step on Stan, on Sanders, but still, man, I think Sims is a really good quarterback, but on this play, he just flat out overthrows uh, Slayton by about five yards. He had no chance to, to make this catch. So it's second and 10. On this play, they have to double Tyler Clark, which means a naturist Patrick flies in unblocked for the stop. Uh, at this point, Johnson has nine carries for 20 yards. So our adjust, maybe it's a combination of, of him being potentially hurt and not being 100% and us making some adjustments. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but nine carries for 20 yards at this point in the third quarter. So now it's third and six. They go with a four-wide double stack look again. They did this earlier in the game. And on this play, we call an A-gap stunt where Roquan Smith blitzes through the A-gap at the snap between the guard and center. And his job here is to occupy both players, the guard and the center. And he does a great job of it. And Lorenzo Carter twists around from the end untouched and flushes to him out of the pocket. But, like earlier in the game, we have a guy with contain. Trent Thompson on this play is the man who has contain. And his job is to keep Jarrett Stidham in the pocket when he tries to escape the pressure in his face. Obviously, we know we're blitzing from the interior, trying to get pressure in his face, so he's going to be flushed outside the pocket. You want to keep contained and kind of squeeze him there. But unfortunately, this is what we got for three years with Trent Thompson. Sometimes it was good Trent, like we saw earlier in the game, where his raw athleticism just took over. And then sometimes it's what we got in this play, bad Trent, 
where his undisciplined play hurt us. And that's, again, what exactly what happened here. First off, Trent gets far too upfield, which allows him to cut under him. But then to compound matters, not only does he get come too far upfield, he gets pancaked. So he can't even backtrack and try to affect the pass. The result in this play is that Stidham is able to get off the pass to Ryan Davis on the scramble drill as, as Davis pulls away from Malcolm Parrish for a 25-yard gain down the Auburn sideline. And really, this was a this was truly a great design by Mel Tucker and Kirby Smart. I mean, it was a great design, a great call, but just really poor execution. We didn't keep contained, and we allowed a, a running lane to open up. Stidham was able to extend the play, and and with the scramble drill, get a, a big gain. So we, we had it set up, but we didn't execute it properly. So now they have first and 10 on our 47 across the 50-yard line. They run the toss to Johnson to the boundary. And on this play, both Dominic Sanders and Tyreek McGee cannot get off blocks, which is not surprising. Both those guys had trouble with that all of last year. And Johnson gets his biggest gain of the day with a 14-yard gain down the sidelines. And now it's first and 10 on our 32-yard line. We play cover three on first down, which means basically we're playing off of the, of the outside receivers. So Baker's playing an off coverage here. Stidham takes the easy first down hitch in front of Baker. So it's another first down, this time on our 19-yard line, and Auburn is in the red zone threatening here to tie or maybe even take the lead in this game. So let's fast forward to third and six. We only rush four in this play. No one is open. So Jerry takes off, and Trent Thompson makes a nice play here. I'll give him credit. He grabs him from behind for no gain, setting up yet another huge play. And Another example of how our, our secondary really played great in this game, kind of just suffocating the Auburn receivers so they didn't have any, anywhere to go, nowhere to get open, Sim had no one to throw to, and we'll allow our pressure kind of get to him. So on the, on the next play, we've got a fourth down play, they're setting up for a field goal, and Daquan Hawkins Muckle, man, comes out of nowhere and just gets a fantastic push. Uh, if you look at the play, we really were not even coming out with an all-out block. That's not what we were trying to do here. He just gets a fantastic push up the middle, he gets a paw up, and he blocks a sure thing 31-yard field goal that would have tied the game from Daniel Carlson. I mean, and Carlson was about as automatic as you get for the past couple of years but we get the block here huge play now the crowd is going crazy we still have a 13 10 lead here uh so we still lead 13 10 in the third quarter and the red and black clad folks are making themselves heard so now let's fast forward to drive number two here uh now look i'm not trying to pat myself on the back here to my own horn a little too any much too much here but i'm sure there are plenty of you do the same thing you're paying attention. I call this play in the stands, not because I'm a genius, but just because it's obvious. We bring, again, we bring in our blocking wide receiver personnel. Every single time we brought in Trey Blunt and Jason Stanley at the same time last year, it was a run. And it was typically a perimeter run. Add to that that we sneak Holyfield back into the fullback spot like we did earlier in the game. And it's clear to any observant fan what is coming. And I love it. Total throwback football. You know what's coming, but you cannot stop it. Uh, it's really the exact same action we had on the play-action touchdown to Nauta with Blaze coming in motion to crack, but this time we do toss into the boundary and Chubb picks up 11 yards and a first down. But we get another horrific call from the Zebras as Holyfield gets called for an illegal chop block. I mean, just horrific, horrific on so many fronts. First, the block came from in front of the defender, which is legal. Second, it was within three yards line of scrimmage, which is also legal. Third, Holyfield is coming from the backfield as a lead blocker. You see this exact same pl- same block in every single college football game ever played. Everyone, just embarrassing. Just again, embarrassing for the oh so stellar officiating crew calling this game. Just awful. So now it's first and twenty-five. 
Uh, and then nothing happening. We end up having to punt. Just an absolute joke. So Auburn gets the ball back. David Marshall gets a face mask, face mask penalty on the punt when he basically rips the helmet off of an Auburn player. So Auburn has it first and 10 on the 46. Great field position here. Try to potentially take the lead. You got nothing going down. Nothing for them on first down. Nothing going here. Uh, so that second and 10. Again, we have everyone covered. But same thing. We again get undisciplined in our pass rush. It starts with Nature's Patrick, who cuts inside of his block when he is the containment. He's we bring him up at the snap off the edge there. He's a containment. He tries to cut inside. This allows Jarrettston to cut under him with uh, with a mini lane, and then a large lane opens up to the backside when the rest of our line kind of breaks down and chases after Stidham. So Stidham wraps it all the way back around for the first down. We had him dead to rights, but he wraps it around for the first down there, and just man, let him get away again. Just undisciplined play. So now it's first and 10 on hour 41. They throw the ball to Ryan Davis. Fortunately for us, he drops it. Incomplete again on second and 10. So it's third and 10. Big play here. We come out in our dime package and again, only rush four. We did a really great job, as I said a few seconds ago, a few minutes ago, suffocating their wide receivers all game long. Really the only time they hurt us were on scrambles. Uh, in this play, we got Walter Grant. We bring him in and he's rushing from the interior on top, uh, in front of a guard there. He breaks free and pressure Stidham right in his face and forced him to throw it away. Now let's talk about Walter Grant for a minute because this is a guy who's going to play a lot for us this year or it's, he's very likely to play a lot for us this year. He is not quite the athlete that Leonard Floyd is or was. It was, is, but man, he sure does look a lot like Leonard Floyd out there. And, and no, it's not just them right now. They both have the same number, 84. It's not just that. It's the tall, lanky frame. It's kind of the way he moves, the way he runs eerily similar to Floyd, really a throwback to that. Again, he's not quite the athlete of a Leonard Floyd or, or Lorenzo Carter, but he makes up for it with relentless effort. I think he's going to be a really good player for us this year. Uh, so we get the ball back, thanks to Grant here getting the pressure on Stidham with our third drive of the second half. Now, it's this ball was almost down when they punted. It was almost down at the one, but it just crossed the goal line for a touchback. On first down, we go play action to Nick Chubb. They are in cover two. We send Swift out in the out into the boundary flat to kind of occupy the boundary safety. And then we run Terry Godwin in behind the void between the corner and safety on a seven route. It's this really a levels pass because we have Wims dragging cross on the intermediate route. So basically what we have is we have we go play action, we fake it to, to Chubb, we send Swift down to the boundary flat. He's the low level. You've got uh Javon Wims dragging across on the intermediate route, and then you got Terry Godwin coming in kind of the smash route there as the deep route on this kind of levels route, on this levels concept, I should say. So Fromm hits Godwin in stride on yet another example of how well Jake Fromm throws the ball to the perimeter. That's really where he excels, is throwing the ball to the perimeter. And now after this play, we have the ball first and 10 on the Auburn 49 after a big gain of 31 yards on the play. Uh, and at this point, Fromm is now 13-16 for 167 yards and one touchdown. And to this point, the biggest game of his career. Really almost a flawless game at that point. He, had, he Now, to be fair, he wasn't asked to do a ton yet, but he executed what he was asked to do supremely well. Uh, on first down, we go with a bunch set to the left. We fake, fake the ball to Chubb on the dive. Then we fake the ball on the end around to Miko. We are going for the home run down the field, but Fromm does not like what he sees, and he is wise behind, beyond his years here. He drops it off to Miko in the boundary for a gain of about six yards. For most freshmen in the country... It's now second and ten, at best, after trying to force it into uh, into Wims on the deep ball here. But Fromm makes the right decision and picks up what he can. So instead of being second and ten, we get, we're at second and four, much more manageable situation. Hope to keep the chains moving. So we spread them out on second and four, 
would trip to the field, leaving only five defenders in the box for five blockers. As an, as, as an offensive coordinator, you really like those numbers. And on this play, we get them spread out, and then when we come back, we run an old-school inside trap where uh, Kendall Baker releases to block the inside linebacker. He lets Derrick Brown go free. And Brown kind of rushes up field, feeling like, oh, man, nobody's here blocking me. And Ben Cleveland pulls around and pancakes Derrick Brown. Beautiful sight, if you ask me. The uh, offensive line does, the rest of the offensive line does their job, and they get Ch- Nick Chubb to the second level untouched. And then Chubb takes it from there. He breaks a couple of tackles before getting pulled down at the Auburn 24. Nice big gain here. Beautiful design here. Get him spread out, run the old school inside trap, power football. Love it. Uh, so now we've got first down. We run inside zone to DeAndre Swift for a gain of two. And this play right here is an example of where a guy like Justin Fields could be really effective for us this year. Our offensive line does a fantastic job blocking down and getting movement on the inside zone action. But we leave Jeff Hall their defensive end unblocking the play. And the idea is like on this particular play, the idea with this design is you leave the defensive end unblocked because we are reading him. We're optioning off of him so we don't need to dedicate an actual blocker to block him and take him out of the play. The idea is if he crashes on the running back, the quarterback just pulls it and takes off. If he stays wide to, to take away the quarterback run, you hand it off, you got nobody crashing down the backside. In effect, you're taking the, the backside even spin out of the play without actually having to dedicate a blocker to him. So it gives you a numbers advantage. Now in this play, I don't know if Fromm is given the option or not. Because so, you think about it, if the if he crashes, what's supposed to happen is if the defensive end here, Hall in this case, crashed on the on the running back, the quarterback should just pull it and take off because there should be a lane there. And that's exactly what happens, but Fromm does not pull it. I don't know if Fromm was given that option or not on this play. If he was, Fromm absolutely should have pulled it because Holland does crash on Swift hard and immediately, and Fromm has room to pull it and run. But I really have to believe he was given the option because if you have no intention of actually letting your quarterback run the play, then why in the world would you leave the defensive end unblocked? There's if, if the quarterback is not actually going to run, if he has not had the opportunity to run the ball, why would you leave the defensive end unblocked? So I have to believe that he was given the option to run here. At least that's my guess. So anyway, with a dual threat guy like Justin Fields that you truly have to account for every single play in the running game, Holland does not make that play because he has to account for Justin Fields. And if Holland does not make that play, Swift might take this take this run to the house. He very well might because everyone else did their job. It's just that backside guy who did not really buy that Fromm was going to be a threat run the football. And he crashes on Swift and and stops him for a short two-yard gain. And if that doesn't happen, Swift might take this to the distance. He might. Uh, as it is, it's second and eight. We go uh, on a slant to Wims. The ball falls incomplete just a little out in front of Wims. Just a little out in front of him. So it's third and eight. We run a screen to Swift, but we're outnumbered on the perimeter. And he gets brought down short of the first down. So we settle for a 35-yard field goal with 126 in the third quarter. And we're now up 13-7. to seven. So... Auburn gets the ball back in their third drive of the second half. They get it first and 10. Well, we come out in our base D personnel. Auburn goes with the old Gus Malzahn bread and butter. With, I mean, what is this, like their seventh or eighth screen of the game? But they run a screen to Ryan Davis on first down. David Marshall hustles from inside to bring Davis down short of the first down. So it's second and one. And this is a perfect spot you want to be on as an offense. Auburn goes, and on the second and one, they go for the very predictable deep shot here. Because why not? Why why would you not take a deep shot here? If you miss it, it's only third and one. You're, you're very likely to pick up the, the, the first down anyway. So, but you can take your shot, and maybe you hit one deep. So they take the deep shot to Slayton down our sideline, but Baker suffocates him in coverage, and the ball falls incomplete. But again, it's only third and one now, so not a huge deal. Auburn actually goes under center on this play, which they never do. They hand it off to Johnson. He powers ahead for the, for the first down. 
Now, the last play of the third quarter, they got the ball first and 10. And yet again, we are very undisciplined in our pass rush. And we allow Jarrett Sim to pull it down and scoot away for 12 yards and another first down. And you know Kirby Smush will be pulling his hair out at this point because he really tries to keep a, a solid mush rush, to keep the quarterback contained in the pocket, squeeze him. In this particular game, man, we just kind of we lost our discipline here. And Stenham is not a guy you're going to run a lot of design runs with necessarily, but he is, as he showed in this game, he is more than capable of pulling it and scrambling for a first down. And he showed that multiple times in this game. So here we are. Put your hands up, both hands up. Fourth quarter at the Krypton Fanfare playing. Now people forget, man, the way this game ended up, but people forget that this game was 13-7 going into the fourth quarter with Auburn driving with a new set of downs as the quarter opens. We forget that because of what happens on the very first play of the first quarter. Auburn has the ball first and 10 near midfield. They hand it off, they hand it off off tackle to carry on Johnson, who, who moves past the first level. But just after he does, Lorenzo Carter reaches back and strips the ball. And Roquan Smith picks it up and starts racing down the Auburn sideline. I do just want to also say that Julian Rochester got driven back three yards on this play, allowing Johnson to get by the first level in the first place. He never gets past the first level if, if Rochester holds his ground and does not get blown back three yards. And I have not been shy about saying that Rochester needs to get stronger at the point of attack this season because we are going to need him. And this is a, this play is yet another example of why he's got to improve heading into 2018. But while this game was close entering the fourth quarter, after this play, it is all dogs the rest of the way as we completely take control of this game. So we get the ball back after the, another huge turnover in this game. On first down, uh, we I love this. I love this. This is just, man, this is the X's and O's, man. This is the chess match. We clearly saw how hard Auburn crashed on the last zone read look that I just detailed a few minutes ago. So this time, we run it again. This time, Fromm pulls it. Again, I'm not sure if it was a design call or if he was just reminded on the sideline that, hey, if the defense then crashes on the back like he did the, the last time, you need to pull it and run the ball. That's what the play's designed to do. So I don't know if it's designed or he's just told, hey, if you, you know, let's remember how to run this play. But regardless, defense then crashes on the zone read. Fromm pulls it, and he shows that he has good functional mobility as he picks up 17 yards down to the 22-yard line. On first and 10, we got another creative call by Jim Chaney off of the toss action. This time, we're in a bunch set to the right, and we fake the toss to Chubb to the right. Fromm actually tosses it, but he tosses it into the arms of Miko Harmon, who comes out of the bunch set, reversing field towards the left, and picks up a nice gain of six yards on first down. And they tack on, and I'll admit, a rather ticky-tack late hit on Auburn for another 15 yards. By the rule book, it was a late hit, but very minor. I'll still take it. Like I, We still got the, the bad end of the calls in this game. But this one, I don't know. I would have probably kept that flag in my back pocket. But I'll take it. So now we got first and 10 on the eight-yard line after the penalty. We go three tight ends uh, to, to the right, and we hand it off on the dive to Swift, who picks up a tough two yards up the gut here. So second and goal from the six-yard line, and we we go to the Jake Fromm specialty, a back shoulder fade to Terry Godwin in the boundary to the left side of the field for the touchdown. Auburn's in man coverage here with no safeties because we're in a two-tight end set, and they have to account for the run when we come out in that heavy two-tight end set. It's in, With no safeties, it's simple pitch and catch out there. It's man-on-man. The defender plays with top leverage since he has no safety help. He has to play over the top. Fromm reads it and delivers the perfectly placed back shoulder fade to Terry Godwin for the huge touchdown. And now we're going to go for two to make it a, a, a true 14-point, two-touchdown lead. And on the on the two-point play, we start in a tight set. 
but we motion out to a four wide receiver diamond formation to the left side in the boundary. And with Godwin, we leave Godwin, the lone wide receiver to the right. You see this a lot. The four wide receivers are kind of window dressing to isolate the opposite wide receiver with man-on-man single coverage with no help on the other side. We run the exact same play with the exact same results here. We run a back shoulder fade. Two-point conversion is good. The defender, again, had no state up over the top, so he has to play uh, top coverage or top leverage there over the top. And we just, from reads it, throws a back shoulder fade to, to Godwin. Two-point conversion is good. 24-7, officially a two-touchdown lead in this game. And now we feel it, man. And this is another example of an absolutely gorgeous play design by Jim Chaney. For those of you who are not Chaney fans, I mean, first we start in a tight, heavy look. He motions out, which creates a lot of confusion on Auburn, or on the Auburn side of the ball here. The defenders, Auburn's defenders, see the four-wide receiver side with the diamond set, and they think, that you got to think something's going on over there. But we have Terry isolated one-on-one at the top for the easy conversion. And the place is going nuts now. I was sitting in the upper level in this game. And, and, and actually the front row of the upper level where the railing is if you've been uh, to Mercedes-Benz. And at this point, my wife is holding me by holding me with two hands by the belt so I don't fall overboard because I'm going freaking crazy in the stands. So we're up 21-7. Auburn gets the ball back. They go three and out. They actually had time to answer. with. They, at this point, there's 13-plus minutes remaining in this game. But they can't put anything together. They go three and out. So they have to punt the ball back to us. And we get the ball back at our own 25-yard line with 12 minutes and 12 seconds remaining in this game. And our offensive line is just leaning on them now. We run a split zone to Chubb with Charlie Warner executing the slice block where he comes from the backside of the play to handle the backside def- uh, that the end man line of scrimmage. We get a five-yard gain. They're just leaning on them. Second and five, you see Jay Fromm change the play at the line of scrimmage. We're in a pistol formation with trips to the left. Cleveland pulls out to the right. Uh, Swift gets a hands-off and follows Cleveland on the edge for six yards and another first down. So the clock is bleeding. It's it's ticking down here. Under 11 with a new set of downs. And the next play is one that we will all remember for years and years to come. We come out on first down, strong right to the boundary with DeAndre Swift offset to Fromm's left. From hands off to Swift up the middle. Wynn and Baker are on the left side. And they execute perfect half drop steps to usher their men upfield. And then ride them out of the play. They kind of take the half drop step to get their guys to kind of come up the field. And they just ride them out of the play. Uh, the Montgomery Center absolutely pancakes Andrew Williams from Eagles Landing Christian. If you remember him from recruiting a couple years back. Gilliard pancakes him, and the result is a gaping hole for DeAndre Swift, who glides effortlessly through it before veering slightly left to the field. The safety takes himself out of the play with a horrible angle of the ball. He has no chance with, with the angle he took to the ball. Swift reads Javon Wims's block on the perimeter here. Initially, he set he was set up to run around Wims and, and, and the defender that Wims is engaged with. But then at the last second, he kind of sees that Wims begins to work the defender back outside with the block. So Swift executes a lightning one-foot cut upfield, and he is off to the races with Coach Kirby Smart chasing him down the sideline all the way to the 20-yard line. And it ends up being a 64-yard touchdown run to make the score 28-7. to And now it's done. It is pure pandemonium in the bins. And that, boys and girls, is all she wrote. And really, this play was perfect execution all around. The offensive line did their job. They got DeAndre Swift to the second level untouched. I mean, it was a massive hole. Javon Wims with great perimeter blocking. 
and once he got to the second level, swifted the rest. And that's what he's supposed to do. It's the offensive line's job to get the running back to the, to the second level. And then once he gets there, it's the running back's job to, to make the rest happen. And Swift, when he gets to that second level, he showcased both the footwork and the vision that could potentially help him become a special back for us this year and beyond. So now after this play, there's technically 10 minutes and 35 seconds left in the game. But we get the ball back pretty quickly. And after that, we just pretty much ice the game. So that, my friends, is the story of how we beat the dog crap out of Auburn in the 2017 SEC Championship game. So thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me here. Go so on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, kind of reliving this one last time and then going into detail with everything that went down and kind of seeing what it could potentially mean for us heading into, into 2018. Uh, I can't promise, but I'm going to try to be back later in this week if we get if I had a little downtime on vacation here. Um, try to be back with another show later this week. So be checking for that. If not, we'll definitely have you guys completely covered next week. But thanks for listening. I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.